And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Starcast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. In this episode... It's just another Tasmaniac Monday as Schalke edge closer to a historically bad record that's even worse than Michael Jackson's 1987 effort. Werder Bremen provide hope for the Bundesliga resistance after surviving a meeting with the Death Star in Bavaria. Erling Haaland's foreplay makes Lucien Favre lose the plot and following their 6-0 defeat by Spain, Germany wonder if Löw is really all they need. All of this in Starkast. Today, to discuss these momentous developments, we welcome Oliver Müller and Christoph Biermann to the show. Hello, guys. Christoph, Werder Bremen got a point against Bayern after losing there for 45 consecutive years. Or, or thereabout. <laughs> um, 10. A 1-1 draw. <laughs> yeah, 10. A 1-1 draw against the Bayern team that looked a little bit less formidable and less invincible than in recent months. I guess the injuries caught up with them. There's no Josué Kimmich. Um, some of the international players still looked very, very tired. Niklas Sula was on the bench, uh, not being fit enough, in the words of Dieter Flick, Hans-Dieter Flick. Was that the sort of result that maybe suggests this isn't a foregone conclusion after all this year? Yeah, they, they looked like mortals. I mean, um, and the interesting thing about this match was Werder Bremen wasn't even very lucky uh, getting a point. I mean, maybe you could you could think, oh, there was a situation they had uh, 20 uh, chances to score goals and in the end they didn't make it and uh, Werder got a point. No, that wasn't the truth. The truth was that also Werder had some very good chances and uh, without the, again, uh, tremendous uh, Manuel Neuer, they probably even would have lost it. And uh, uh, from my point of view, there is some hope for the Bundesliga that we might get a title race this season. I mean, I, I was always very pessimistic about it, but for the first time, I'm slightly optimistic that we get some suspense here. Do you, do you think that uh, Bayern are just slightly less of a of a working side now that their midfield options are getting depleted. I mean, they played with Müller in a more central role and Musiala and uh, Goretzka to come on because uh, there was an early injury and they need to uh, shift things around. Are they running out of, of option a little bit uh, now that uh, Thiago is gone and they just don't seem to have the same kind of depth in those positions? I think so. You could think that Joshua Kimmich probably is the most important player in, in German football when you look at the result of the German national team without him and now Bayern without him. Uh, but call him the most irreplaceable player in German football. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and 
it, it looks a bit like this, but but it's it's not only about uh, it's not only about Kimmich. I, I mean, uh, this season will be a lot about how uh, teams and even the best and Bayern are the best are are coping with the situation uh, with too many games, a uh, lot of injuries, probably COVID uh, infections uh, and so on. So it's a it's a mix of also a bit luck or bad luck uh, on the one hand side and the the cleverness of the athletic coaches um, and so on and uh, when you look at Bayern it wasn't dramatic but you could see they are having uh, problems that won't be easily solved. What about Werder Bremen? Where, where do, what do we make of them? I mean they're in a very good position in the table uh, for what it's worth, in ninth. But they only have 11 points after eight games because most of them have been draws, five draws, only two wins and one loss. Very difficult to suggest that there is really strong progress, but at least it seems to me that uh, Florian Kofeld has things turned around to the extent that we're no longer thinking of them as a relegation candidate. Is that yeah, that yeah and I, I think it's a it's it's a big achievement. I I mean it's now it's a bit like boring boring Werder with all their draws and also it's not 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 actually fascinating to uh, to watch them uh, play football. But uh, Florian Kofeld turned things round with some new players, but but they couldn't do much on the on the transfer market. They even lost. Davy Klaassen to uh, to Ajax because they just needed some money and uh, Klaassen was one of the important players in in the team. But they got some defensive stability as they uh, showed in in Munich and and also sometimes have some attacking options that uh, other teams that are serious contenders for for relegation don't have so i think that we we have to praise uh, florian kofeld uh, because it it wasn't easy and uh, but but they are now on a on a, on a on a good way that's at least my impression from so far yeah i would definitely agree with that um also on a very good way as we like to say in germany a british <laughs> Um, they beat Hertha 5-2 in a very entertaining game on Saturday night. It was all about Yusufa Mukoko's Bundesliga debut with 16 years and one day the youngest ever Bundesliga player. But of course, the real story on the day was Erling Haaland scoring four goals, uh, although only three if you... Uh, listen to Lucien Favre because he got a little bit confused afterwards saying, I don't care so much about goals. I'm more interested in passes and crosses. I mean, if ever there was a manager sort of revealing all the good and bad things about his coaching, that was that was definitely the moment. Um, Christoph, uh, where do we start? I mean, I guess we have to start with Erling Haaland. I mean, what what a player this guy is. If I was, I'm I'm now slightly optimistic about the a decent title race this season. It also has to do with uh, Haaland because what 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 made Bayern so invincible? Yes, there were a, a lot of qualities, but but uh, may, maybe one of the most important was uh, Robert Lewandowski, a, a guy who didn't stop scoring, and now Borussia. Dortmund has uh, this guy too and um, he, he does it with 20 years on, on a level that is 
yeah, it, it's not even impressive. It's it's almost unbelievable. You also have the impression that he is also carrying the team to a, a certain degree because he is not only because of the physical appearance. He he, he looks like the the locomotive on the pitch uh, for the team, and that's I think uh, very inspiring. On the other hand side, we have been talking about Borussia Dortmund's problems, and and um, maybe they show. show Show up uh, in games to come, but at least now it's uh, yeah great performance by Haaland and great performance uh, by Borussia Dortmund. And there is so much so much excitement about this team. I mean, when they're when they're playing, as we know, I don't think there's any any team in the Bundesliga that is quite as exciting and as beautiful on the ball with their combination, all the youthfulness that they seem to produce. Now in, in Mukoko, they have this uh, new kid who uh, I'm sure. Will will score goals, um, even though it's going to be difficult to replace Erling Haaland uh, as a number nine at the moment. Yeah, but Dortmund, I think, just suggesting that maybe, as you said, even though they have issues and they conceded another two goals, the firepower up front will will just carry them a lot closer than they have been in recent recent years. The only one point behind Bayern after eight games on eighteen, level with. Bayer Leverkusen. Now, Leverkusen won 2 1 at Bielefeld, but this is a game that I think will go down in history for something else. <laughs> uh, Bielefeld registered an XG of zero. Yes, zero. But they still scored a goal. Christoph. Yeah, and uh, how is that possible? <laughs> it's possible. It's actually not the first time in the history of the Bundesliga. Hertha also managed uh, to do it some some years ago. I think they scored from an own goal or so. But anyhow, how did they do it? Bayer Leverkusen scored, or Lukas Radetzky, the, the goalkeeper, scored because he got a, a back pass, and that was really one of the easy uh, back passes so not under pressure and uh, not too fast and not misplaced or whatever and then there was this little tiny bump on the pitch or this uh, some grass was standing out and you could see that it was jumping up like five centimeters or so so Radetzky uh, hit the ball wrongly and it went uh, into his own goal and so that was how uh, Bielefeld equalized without uh, uh, without uh, shooting at the goal and and as you did they didn't do it for a depressing 90 minutes <laughs> yeah. i mean Bielefeld, we we thought might be you know playing good football might be entertaining you were quite positive about it yeah. yeah 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 but I, but yes, um, <laughs> yes. It, it, it's, it's, it seems to be that they, I mean, they were last season, they were the best team in the, in the second division. They, are, um, they were def defensively extremely stable. They were uh, scoring a serious amount of goals, not, not crazy. But now when you see them in the Bundesliga, you have the impression it's, it's not enough. It's, 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 it's missing here a bit, missing there a bit. It's not, I mean, it's not that they are completely lost. They, they seem to be out of their depth and it looks if they don't manage to, to uh, turn things around. I mean, especially against opponent, not like Bayer Leverkusen, who, who are belonging to the top teams uh, of the Bundesliga. They might get real problems. I mean, they still have uh, uh, problems and... Uh, but, but uh, yeah, they have to turn things around, definitively. 
But let's talk a little bit about Schalke. As we alluded to, they are not exactly doing uh, tremendously well. Uh, Mark Uth, their striker, said he was about to cry in the dressing room after yet another defeat, 2-0 at home to Wolfsburg. They are now within a realistic realm of equalising Tasmania's Berlin all-time record of, of 31 games without a win. Only seven to go. Oliver Lemuller, our Ruhrport expert, joins us now. Oliver, just how terrible are Schalke and when will things go slightly better for them? I was in the stadium on Saturday and I have to say, especially the first 35 minutes of the performance were really, really poor. They were quite shocking. And the performance was like performance of a team who nearly lost all of its confidence. They got an early goal against Schalke and then afterwards uh, Wolfsburg created, I think, four or five big chances. So uh, the fact that Wolfsburg was leading 2-0 at halftime was just uh, lucky from the point of view of Schalke. Uh, Wolfsburg could have scored uh, several more goals. Afterwards, uh, Manuel Baum, the manager, changed the system and uh, took some exchanges and then it went a little bit better. But you never had really the feeling that Schalke could equalize in that match. So, of course, it was really, really disappointing. There were some signs earlier this season that Schalke perhaps were beginning to play a bit more football and I th thought the game against Mainz was quite encouraging. But was this game, in the way it played out, so depressingly inept and disappointing that we're now back at square one, we're now back at the end of the uh, David Wagner era where you just feel that there is no cohesion and, and no belief whatsoever in this team? I think so, because then uh, one day after the match, there was a training session at Schalke and they had uh, been a quarrel between Naldo, the existence coach, and uh, Vedat Ibizovic, uh, the striker. So, of course, there's tension in the team, there's tension in the club, and uh, it's right. Uh, they have shown some small progress during the last matches before the Wolfsburg match, but uh, when you don't get the results you desperately need, then of course uh, you stop believing in the turnaround. And at the moment, uh, when you take a look at the fixtures, uh, they're going to play Borussia Mönchengladbach um, next weekend and then the week after they're playing against Leverkusen. And uh, if Wolfsburg is an opponent which is out of reach for Schalke and it looked like on Saturday, then these two opponents uh, will will be even more dangerous for Schalke. So the situation is, is, is really, really serious at the moment. Christoph, you've been calling Schalke the new hamburger as foul for a few months now. First in jest, but now I think it might be actually depressingly true. Are they in some kind of death spiral, which inevitably points towards relegation, you think? Yeah, and on, on Saturday for a, a long time during the match and and especially uh, with the reaction afterward, you, you were um, uh, quoting Mark Ut. they look like a dead team uh, in, in a way. They, they don't have any idea now. I mean, after so many days and weeks and months without winning a game, how to win? 
how to 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 actually win a match and and get some points and they uh, scored the least goals in the Bundesliga they got the most goals against them they are at the bottom of the table and they really look hopeless and uh, and they look much worse actually than than Hamburg uh, ever did in the Bundesliga it it remembers me more uh, of the Uh, low points of, of Schalke in the 80s. I mean, um, they have been in the second division uh, several times in the 80s. Uh, uh, there was even one season where they were close being relegated to the third division at that time. And um, in a way, and with, with all the general situation, they um, with the enormous financials problem they are facing, and there are, is also a lot of internal turmoil because Alexander Jobst, uh, the marketing boss, wants to restructure the club and there is uh, a lot of uh, opposing uh, opponents uh, to that and uh, discussions about it. So it's altogether a very black picture that uh, Schalke is painting right now. Yeah, it certainly does sound uh, pretty bleak. Oliver, is there any hope for them? Is there anything they can do? They, I mean, they've changed the manager, they've changed the whole chief executive um, set up uh, and the board not that long ago either. I mean, are they beyond repair? I mean, there, there must be a way of, of writing this these wrongs somehow with the size and the history of Schalke. Surely there's a way of, of saving them. At the moment, it looks like that their only hope can be that there will be two teams in the Bundesliga that have maybe throughout the whole season some problems more than Schalke 04. Of course, uh, when you take a look at the, at the squad of Schalke, it is a team that has more technical abilities than, for instance, Mainz 05 or Arminia Bielefeld, who have known right from the start of the season that they have to struggle not to get relegated. But uh, on the other hand, comes more and more to the light that um, this team is just not prepared for... for this type of football they have to show in order not to get relegated. So I think it's difficult for Schalke to to make some changing in the team because of the financial situation. The amount of debts of the club is far more than 200 uh, million euros. That was the amount of debt they had at the end of last year. So I guess at the moment it will be around... 230, 240 millions euros of debts. And of course, they don't have any sugar daddy, which means Clemens Tönnies, who was a strong man uh, at Schalke throughout the last two decades. He stepped down in summer, also because there have been some scandals around him and also uh, because there was a lot of pressure from, from the supporters Uh, who want to get rid of him, but this has a price. The price is that Schalke has not this opportunity. Uh, they've taken advantage of many times throughout the last decades that whenever they need money, they go to him and he, because he he's, he's a, a Protestant of, of meat, a really rich person, and borrowed some money from him. And he offered that to Schalke in summer, but they refused this offer. And so uh, when they want to buy a new player, which um, 
you can say maybe they need him, then they have to sell first the player in January. And uh, so the situation is, is really, really difficult. And also because there's a lot of tension in the club because of, of uh, um, what Christoph just mentioned, the discussion, if they want to capitalize maybe uh, the professional football team, if they want to uh, uh, work with uh, strategic investors and so on. It looked like it could be a really difficult season, but on the other hand, of course, you have to say there are also some other clubs in the Bundesliga who have some serious problems. One is Mainz, another one is Bielefeld. Even even uh, Cologne is is um, not not a very very good team. So uh, they have to struggle until the end. But of course, uh, you are Schalke 04. Uh, there's always loud, and it's it's never easy to walk through a crisis to solve a crisis at a emotional club like Schalke. Yeah, no one to to save their bacon now with. Um Exactly. I don't know if sugar daddy is the right word for Clemens Tunis, but maybe sausage daddy. I don't know. It sounds wrong. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, no Clemens Tunis there. So uh, Cologne, as you said, Oliver, down there with Schalke. It was a meeting between a Champions League contender and a relegation candidate when they played Union Berlin. And guess what? Cologne lost. And Union are in fifth. Christoph, I think you wrote the wrong book. You should have written a book about Union Berlin winning their first ever Bundesliga season. They're only four points adrift of Bayern after eight games. Yeah, but you you have to uh, look at whom they had been playing so far. Uh, so they haven't uh, playing Bayern and Dortmund and Leverkusen and uh, and and so on. So they are very happy that they picked up uh, 15 points already, and I, I think. Uh, uh, they they won't be no relegation uh, battle for for Union uh, uh, this season that's for sure but slowly they will uh, dropping down the table a, a bit but uh, still it's a tremendous achievement for them. I expected you to sound a bit more upbeat. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> especially the uh, the match on Sunday in in, in Cologne was uh, quite impressive because uh, they had a, a extremely long injury list. Uh, uh, almost 10 players were, were missing for several uh, recent injuries. There is also one uh, COVID in infection and uh, some players ill and, and, and so on. Even had to, to bring in a 16-year-old youth player uh, from the um, from the youth team uh, to to fill the bench and uh, so uh, that made it made it even more impressive how they won and I and it, it was interesting to see uh, how stable they were and uh, also when when you look at the distribution of goal chances and Cologne had a had a, a free kick in the very last second of the game that hit the bar in the end it, it was a deserved uh, a win that uh, Union was was taking away. If I may say a word about Cologne, I think you can see... Make, a it, make it a word that we can actually broadcast. <laughs> I would say you, you can see a pattern here uh, with uh, Schalke and Cologne and Bielefeld. Um, they are in a way okay defensively, 
but always making individual errors uh, on the one hand side but the on the other hand side they are almost it's almost impossible for them to play out some some chances in front of the opposing goal um, so uh, Cologne uh, scored from a set piece and it's uh, for example and it's for, for them it almost looks like impossible to uh, to create any goal chances and uh, we have been talking about Bielefeld not giving one single shot against uh, Leverkusen and also Oliver described how, how difficult it was for, for Schalke to create anything so uh, what we have here is three teams that have um, enormous problems uh, on this uh, side of the uh, of the pitch and I think uh, that shows that, that um, uh, we will talk about them uh, as relegation contenders for many weeks to come. Yeah, aside with enormous problems on all sides on the pitch, <laughs> uh, that is a um, very neat segue into our last um, but perhaps most depressing topic of, uh, of the week, which is, of course, Germany's 6-0 defeat by Spain and the ensuing fallout. Oliver, first of all, how shocking were Germany and what do they have to do now before you know this will become an even bigger catastrophe with the Euros not far away? Yes, of course. This uh, was something that uh, brought back the German national team into the discussion of the football supporters because uh, during the last weeks and months we had the impression, maybe because of the... Uh, the corona um, crisis and other topics that the supporters were not so much caring about the performances of, of, of the German national team. But this, of course, was a wake-up call, you can say. Yeah, the problem is uh, that um, solution that would be on the hand, get some experienced players back into the squad, like, uh, for instance, Thomas Müller, who played uh, a brilliant last season with Bayern München, or Mats Hummels, uh, who've really shown good performances with Borussia Dortmund, in order to stabilize the team a little bit. This will not be so easy, because Joachim Löw pointed out that um, he's not interested in bringing these players back. And this is, of course, the big discussion at the moment in Germany, if this turnaround, in order to 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 stabilize the team, in order to have uh, the opportunity uh, to play a good European Championship in summer, if this will be possible with Joachim Löw or maybe not. I think um, if Joachim Löw will show some, I wouldn't say greatness, but some courage, he uh, he thinks twice about the decision he took and says, okay, we desperately need stability in the defense, which is uh, the main problem at the moment. And because of this, uh, I get uh, whether Mats Hummels or Jerome Boateng back into the team. Uh, but this, of course, would means that he has to correct himself. And uh, nobody likes to uh, correct himself uh, when you once took a decision. And I think Joachim Löw, I'm afraid, especially not. But Christoph, this is deeper though, isn't it? I mean, yes, you can imagine a German backline playing slightly better with Hummels there, maybe even Boateng. Maybe they press a lot more decisively up front with Thomas Müller rather than Leroy Sané. But 
it felt to me, especially in the second half when it switched to a three-man defense and men marking midfield. I mean, Cross and Gunwan men marking Spaniards is just the, 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 the thing of horrors. Um, <laughs> that this this team seemed so lost and so almost disbelieving that they had any chance with 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 a game plan with a strategy that they were supposed to put on the pitch that the personnel almost didn't didn't really matter all that much that was the impression that i had what about you was it jonathan woodgate when he was playing at real madrid who was saying uh, that real madrid is a slaughterhouse for defenders because uh, nobody is uh, defending in midfield and up front and it, it reminded me a bit of that uh, for for a long stretch of the of the game because um, nobody was was helping a, a very inexperienced back four, and with, also with players out of position uh, like Matthias Ginter, who was a right back. And um, and I was I was thinking, how can that happen? I mean, how how can can a team be so ill prepared tactically uh, from a football side uh, like like the Germans were? Because everything was was going wrong. They they tried. A, a deep block in the first half uh, that blocked nothing. They uh, tried a high press at the beginning of the second half and uh, there, there was even more space for the Spanish slaughters uh, to the German defense. And if stuff like this is happening, you, you really have to talk uh, about the coach and who is uh, responsible for, for this. And I was always uh, a, a big supporter for, for Yogi Löw um, also even after 2018 because yeah my support declined a bit uh, to be honest but but now I, I the whole thing the whole atmosphere everything that uh, the German team is sending out tells me it's over there needs to be uh, a change maybe not immediately because it's uh, so 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 difficult to i mean they uh, only meet in again in march to prepare for the european uh, championship if there is a european championship then but yeah the the, the story is over uh, and that's that's my impression and uh, if you decide okay we go with Löw and his team uh, to the euro or not the change will be afterwards and uh, uh, the change is actually overdue if you think it is over and if you think that Löw cannot last beyond the euros wouldn't it make more sense making the switch now though it's very the, unlike the German FA to to change managers between tournaments I think it only happened to to Bertie Fawkes in recent years uh, with a lot of drama that uh, was attached to it but Oliver what do you think what is the most realistic outcome of this um, German FA board meeting on the 4th of December when Oliver Beoff has to sort of present uh, both the uh, progress or lack thereof since 2018 and uh, and a decision has to be taken of whether about whether Löw will stay. What's your what's your hunch? What would be the outcome? Are you asking me for a realistic outcome? But I have to say the realistic outcome will not be the best outcome. I think uh, they will carry on with Joachim Löw because of several reasons. First of all, you said what will be the analysis taken by Oliver Bierhoff. Oliver Bierhoff is someone 
who came in to the German Football Association and uh, to the German national team as a director because of, of people like Jürgen Klinsmann, the predecessor of Löw, and of course Joachim Löw. So I think you will not ex cannot expect a decision to get rid of Löw by Oliver Bierhoff. He already pointed out that he still trust, uh, has trust in, in Joachim Löw. Um, the best thing would be um, to take a decision, maybe um, to lead some talks with, for example, Ralf Rangnick, or maybe uh, lead a talk with uh, uh, Stefan Kunz, who is doing um, a good job at the under-21 German team. The point is that the German, not only Joachim but also the German Football Association has not a good timing in taking decisions uh, and this is lasting for years. I mean, when you think back um, in the Confed Cup uh, 2017, uh, Löw played with young players, he played with Draxler, he plays with Leroy Sané, the team was really, really doing well. Then uh, you have the World Championship at um, 2018. And uh, then he played with the elder players again, players he known for a couple of years and, of course, has some really deep personal connections to these players. So it's not so easy for Löw to take decisions in order to um, reform the team. Then after this, this tournament in Russia, nothing happened for over half a year and then... Suddenly, he threw out Hummels, Boateng and Müller. And uh, so you can see that uh, Joachim Löw has quite some problems in order to take right decision at the right period of time. Because he is a coach for such a long time and he has some personal connection to the players. I think the best thing would be, that would be indeed the best outcome, um, to bring in something new. But I'm not believing that uh, the German Football Association has got the courage to take this decision. So they muddle through until they get knocked out again in the group stage by France. I mean, and they, they, they don't. The they don't have to be knocked out. Uh, maybe they. Um, maybe uh, they. Uh, they will make some progress. But I think uh, in order to establish something new and 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 really build up a new team, you you need some new characters around the team. And I don't think they have the courage to, to take this decision. It went so bad in Sevilla against Spain. I think that a lot of players were not prepared mentally. And, and that uh, is, has more to do with their personal situation. You had uh, some, some Bayern players and, and some, some, some others. I think they, for them, the game was not not really important uh, I, i mean they they wouldn't they they wouldn't go on the pitch and say i i, I don't care or so but but uh, i i think this this underlying thing that is so i my my program is so was so dense um Uh, I, I had to play so many games, blah, 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 and, and so on, prevented uh, uh, some resilience. Um, and, and when it started going wrong, I think it was very difficult uh, to, to switch. So um, I, I wouldn't blame uh, Löw uh, altogether for, for, for the heaviest defeat since uh, 1931. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But it was... was uh, 
also one of these days that uh, can happen in football um, and and we, we see it with the, the best teams and uh, but it also shows um, a, a lot of pro, uh, underlying problems uh, that, that we mentioned and they have partly to do, uh, also to do with the with the coach and the whole setup that is in place now for 14 years but uh, Christoph uh, the point that there are at the moment so many matches and that the players maybe are a little bit tired mentally and the schedule is so tight. This is for me not a point in order to put in as a defense of Joachim Löw because especially in situations like this, it would be very, very helpful uh, if you would have got a new spirit in, in, in the German national team, if you have a, a new approach, also as a, maybe with a new coach, someone who can address the players in another way and also uh, someone who can't be held responsible for mistakes which have been committed in the past. And of course, when you are a coach for such a long time, you normally made some decisions which are not very well in retro perspective. And uh, all these things uh, sum up and create a kind of atmosphere throughout the German team, which is not very productive. I'm afraid I agree. That the only question is what can be done about this realistically. Oliver told us that uh, he thinks nothing will change in the immediate uh, future. Christoph, do you think they will pull the plug and, and will blame Löw for this and maybe out of fear that things could go even worse uh, next summer or will they just somehow believe that things will turn out okay and just stick with him for the time being? Yeah, I, I, I think they will uh, try to, uh, as you said, muddle through to um, to the tournament, and uh, and and I, I I wouldn't say that there is no chance uh, to get out there with the with a positive result, and um, I, I think the expectation what a positive result might be are lower now. So um, right now, nobody in Germany is expecting Germany to win the European Championship or not even getting close to winning it. But but if, if they if if they manage a decent tournament, I think it would be honorable uh, goodbye to Löw. Um, I think that uh, I think that's what they uh, will be looking for, and then uh, starting new with a internal solution. I am uh, Oliver uh, rightly mentioned uh, Stefan Kunz, the under twenty one uh, national coach, or somebody uh, coming from outside. I, I think everybody w in Germany would love to uh, have Jurgen Klopp as a national coach, but. Uh, I think we have to wait for some more years uh, until he is uh, he he is prepared to take over. I think that's right. Okay, that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much, Oliver and Christoph. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in to Starcast Pod. We'll be back next week with more and hopefully slightly more uplifting news of German football. See you then. Mm -hmm.